disputes like mm. why do you hate black women so much and how can we change that and can you even recognize your hate for black women and other black people black gay people black queer people black people who are disabled um black people who can't read like mm-hmm. there's there's so many like different like communities of people that are like completely overlooked just based on people's ableism or misogynoir like under misunderstanding of class in america the views expressed on this recording are solely those of the artists and by no means do we encourage or condone violence against law officials Uh, it's for you. It's for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blue Cheese with me, Ebony L. Haynes. This is a limited podcast series where I invite a friend slash artist to respond to this prompt. Name a song that you currently have on repeat or one of your regular playlist go-tos. That song is then a catalyst for a very fun and casual and unscripted conversation that leads to a lot of places. And joining me on this episode is Alima Lee, an artist who currently lives and works in LA. And Alima's episode is brought to you by Evil Nigger by Julius Eastman. In this episode, we talk about Julius... We talk about guerrilla minimalism, John Cage, misogynoir, cancel culture, and um, we talk about a lot of things in this episode. And this is the only episode in the series where I I will be playing the song in its entirety. The song will play in the background of our conversation until it's done. And before we begin our conversation, I'm going to start with a little uninterrupted clip. And please welcome, uh, joining me for this episode is Alima Lee. Hi, Alima. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining. I'm so happy to speak with you. You know, I realized um, when I was discussing the podcast I was recording tonight with my partner that um, I think it's airing on the same day. I can't remember the schedule. Um, for anyone listening, these are pre-recorded, <laughs> but um, obviously, but you and E. Jane are airing on the same day, I believe, and you guys were in the f- the last show I ever curated at Shoot the Lobster. Wow. Yeah, I know. I made. I just realized it because because um my partner was asking if he knew 
who I was speaking to tonight. And I, I was like, oh yeah, you know, you saw the work and I mentioned E's work. And then I was like, actually you saw Lima's work too. It was in the same show. Um, but anyways, that was a beautiful end to a career and you guys closed out an era an era of Ebony L. Haynes curating and now here you are speaking to me on my podcast which is awesome yeah honestly like that's incredible to hear because I feel like like meeting you and working with Shoot the Lobster like kind of helped me kind of self-validate that like I'm an artist and I can like make work that can live in a space and that and it's not just like a music video it's not just like some like moving image that like won't be looked at as a piece of art I guess in a way um and so it kind of gave me space to explore like installation for the first time like in a different kind of way that I'm like always grateful for and also like you like letting me create like my own show there with your help had was mm-hmm. like the best man that process. was such a good show you did such it a great so show <laughs> so many people wrote me and talked to me about that show when I was in LA I mean, yeah, you don't, I mean, I'm happy to provide a platform to just to help you realize that vision, but it was such a strong show, man, really. Thank you, so fun. Um, also, just uh, an aside, you and E-Jane are aired on the same day, but also on this series is Nikita Gale and Maggie Lee, and they were also in that show. Yeah. Um, I mean, that show was very specific to bad bitches who love music, an ode to <laughs> Delia exactly. Derbyshire. Um, everyone listening, do some Googling, but, um, today we are meeting about something else with, um, our prompt is, um, as everyone knows, I've given everybody a song to respond with and, um, Alima has offered Evil Nigger by Julius Eastman and, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about this probably than most because the history of Julius is so fucking wild and I think even just having his name included in this podcast will educate a lot of people and not to claim that I am an expert at all and maybe you'll school school me and the listeners but I mean the reason I even know who Julius is was posthumously as I think a lot of people you know Mm -hmm. it's like he became part of this movement of forgotten geniuses and and coupled with this like guerrilla music style and the New Yorker writes about it and that's how I hear about it to be honest um but how did you how did you stumble across Julius um it was actually through um my friend Kelsey Liu, who um, I used to live with when she was living in LA, um, she was, I mean, like she practiced and has studied classical work for a long time. And I grew up playing piano, but like obviously didn't, I like kind of fell off because I didn't really have any classical artists or like in that realm or orchestra to like look up to and I didn't know there was like a world of like black 
queerness within it mm. and so like when she introduced me to Julius Eastman and um, the nigger series vinyl I like sat there with it and like replayed it for like days and weeks and months and then I was like listening to it in the car and like it kind of just took me on this really wild introspective ride and like kind of um exploring like how like black queer people can be introduced to spaces that are mostly occupied by white people and how those people respond to like black queerness um taking up space and like especially mm. like using the hard r and like for real having, that's something like, i wanted to talk about yeah it it just like blew me i was like this is an insane like orchestral album and it's called the nigger series and like i like i don't know when i started like becoming accepting of like the hard r especially engaging in black twitter and like um all of the discourse that goes with it and like kind of reclaiming it like that is like white people non-black people they all get away with saying nigga and like with the a mm. and like that's kind of like a more societally accepted version of like the mm -hmm. like really crude word that like has been placed upon us historically um and but it's always really frowned upon to like call someone a nigger mm. and so i was like black people kind of reclaiming that word it's like it kind of like gave agency back into our hands where we're able to say this word that like they literally cannot say without like feeling some type of way i don't know why they like wouldn't feel some type of way with just like saying nigga at all but like for some reason like there's a pass and but with this like harder r addition like kind of taking it back it has been like so insane to like see how people react and like it kind of like adds this layer of just even though it's like not to me it's like not like super deep like so many people are so um I don't know um it's a it's really offensive to like so many people and black people like I'm sure if my dad heard me like say nigger mm, <laughs> yeah. it would be a big deal you get but a like, wide-eyed stare <laughs> with my friends it's like you like that white person cannot say this and like it's totally different coming out of my mouth which is like it's so intriguing to me that's so interesting to I mean of course I as a black person I recognize the hard R nigger instead of nigga because I use the latter in my vocabulary often and that happened late in life I think some black people become comfortable with using nigga and some just don't and we all have our reasons for it but um I really embraced it later in life I was really anti any version of the n-word coming out of any black person's mouth when I was younger but it was so self-righteous and came from a place of not being um I'm not going to say not being educated because I think educated people can have the opinion to not use it, but the education I chose to give myself later about systems of language and the root of language allowed me to give the word, the, the A, the, the soft, the soft R nigga, um, a lot more power. And it just, it became very fluid in the way I spoke and I, you know, it, it became second nature um but the hard r nigger just saying it you know i almost before i just said it right there i had to put 
mentally prepare myself to push it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it feels violent. And um, Julius also has a song called, you know, I'm, again, I, I feel the need, see, even as I'm talking to you and we, we're, we're prefacing and couching everything we say in, in the fact that these uh, terms offend people and are hard to hear. I still feel the need to say, I, I don't mean to offend anyone, this is the name of the song, but Nigger Faggot was one of, another one of his songs. And it's so, I mean, now in the place I am in my life, I really can appreciate a position of a black man in that time in America and the power that he must have felt, I can only assume, choosing to title beautiful compositions with these words that probably made it hard for people to listen to or you know definitely couldn't say out loud and maybe had an aversion to it because of the title mm -hmm. um, yeah exactly do you what's this term they used in I, I revisited the article after you sent your song it was like guerrilla minimalism I don't know if you've ever read this article I haven't I, I came across it when it, I mean, I read it when it came out because it referenced, um, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure now people are going to, again, I don't do any pre-research for these talks or um, script any questions, but I'm almost positive. I, I mean, I remember this, that it referenced John Cage. And at the time I was, I mean, I still am very um, into and reference Pope L's artistic practice often and um, his he has this great performance piece called Ch Cage Unrequited which I've actually already talked about in this podcast but so I won't um, pontificate too much but it's a performance piece and it's a endurance piece and it looks at Cage's you know this kind of conceptual score practice and they put Eastman's nigger series in conversation in this article with it and just sort of another i mean is it just another sad moment of a black creative mind that gets recognition posthumously i mean that's kind of a sad trend yeah and it seems like it's just like it's something that like i've seen so much before to where i wouldn't be surprised if that happened in my own life like i'm already mm. prepared for that to happen like i don't i i don't think i've ever like done anything to like for the like just for for the act of gaining recognition for it i've just like always created work because it's what i feel like i need to do in this lifetime and i think that's why like a lot of artists are just like creating all this like insane work with like without the platform that a lot of their counterparts have to like give them um to to the point where they can make money off of what they're doing or receive recognition or critically mm -hmm. acclaimed it's like all of my like um counterparts who are um, white image makers are praised for capturing black bodies while like for me it's almost like an expectation and then there's like a lot for people to tear apart and and like kind of like going over my work where as it's like other people around me can like shoot a black person and it's just a beautiful image um rather than like it being something that uh kind of has like a deeper meaning mm -hmm. um and i think that's why i like really resonated with julius because he just like faced so much heartbreak and um like growing up 
uh, being like a child prodigy, which he was, and like learning so much so young, and like being exposed to so much so young, being growing up in like the '60s and like going through life in the '70s, knowing like you are this like very talented black gay person in the time where that's not really mm. okay yeah. you're just putting your life on the line and i think like him like giving his songs and his like opus is such insane <laughs> um titles it was like really radical for someone like like him to do and like that's why i feel like posthumously like he was able to kind of like get recognition for the work that he did because it was like so hard for people to understand while he was alive and then they realized like the what was behind it like yeah. i think maybe like using trigger words like that was like i don't know just like what am i gonna call it? i'm not gonna call this like opus number seven blah 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 like i'm calling this nigger faggot i'm calling this evil mm. nigger i'm calling this gay gorilla like it was just like a slap in the face almost that like so many people are not used to yeah and i think that was like very brave of him to do like honestly like there's times where i'm like i want to just like call this what i see it but i don't want to offend and like there's like been conversations i've had with like people who are in the art world or the film world who are like you can't be so crass like you won't make it you won't like people won't recognize this as work that is like needs that needs to be shared and so like you're just gonna like stay where you are yeah. um, that's why i feel like he was so brave and like the way that he carried himself he was so like open and like so many people are scared of the openness that i admire when i see it yeah it's so recognizable you know it's like um i hope he wouldn't mind me using him as an example but i do think of our loving dear friend devin troy strother um just in relation of in a way of this in a very clear and obvious connection way of titling work and i've had this conversation with him often where i think he might be pushing his audience to come to terms with something before even appreciating the work it's almost like it's a it's the it's the cover it's the cover of the book before you actually hear the composition or look at the painting and and really sets the tone i mean um devin uses nigga in his titles but he also is like me i mean that's just the way he talks it's not actually shocking if you know him but because of the world we live in and similar to Julius, I mean, the people around him at that time appreciating this young prodigy's, you know, brilliant opus of 14 plus minutes and they decide to cut to title it, you know, evil nigger. I mean, that like you're saying, and I, the same thing I feel with Devin or people who make those decisions, that's a super conscious decision and to um, like appreciate that genius and that position um also very sad that julius died so young you know yeah and alone seemingly i mean is there any do you know if there are any um documentary or really good biographies or or in-depth looks at his life i honestly like haven't even researched that myself i like 
whenever I even mention Julius Eastman, like, honestly, it falls upon deaf ears, like, in conversation about music or, like, how I'm feeling or when I'm referencing it. Um, I haven't seen that much about him. Mm -hmm. Um, I did... I did get this, like, three um, record kind of thing, and it has, like, a lot of information. I, I'm not sure if there's any books on him. Like, I would like to... I feel like I should have done more research on him because I feel so impacted by him mm. in his life and my work. Um, but I feel like I just felt so much from his music that, like, I didn't, like, go on, like, the personal history deep dive because, like... I feel like what he experienced in his life was like so traumatic and he let it out in his work and like the work is so raw and it's so like completely himself that I felt a lot from him and I didn't feel the need to like even go deeper into that because like I've done a lot of research on like contemporary black artists and like especially like avant-garde artists like Julius like his work was so cutting edge and it was like so ahead of his time especially like in classical American music where it's like very not him mm -hmm. um he kind of like created this like whole new space for like things to live for like people like Dev Hines to live in mm. for people like totally. um, just like literally any other black artist who was queer and making work people like Fupu Fuck You mm -hmm. Pay Us fuck like pay us, yeah. punk music like that is just like so totally completely out there and it's just telling you how it is mm -hmm. and it, he like really opened up that space for it's like you should give them their flowers where they're here and I feel like people like Julius is like an excellent um kind of lesson in that where we shouldn't take for granted the people who are having the hard conversations or the people who are kind of um using language in such a way that it's it's totally in your face and like not to shy away from that or not to be scared of it because it's so like deeply important to like our progression and to like recognizing like all the things that we internalize and like also kind of uh facing the gaze mm. and taking it back and kind of flipping it on itself and taking agency back through the language that is thrust upon us and so i feel like julius has done that in such a way that like it speaks completely through his music it speaks um through the language he uses like i don't know i feel like a, a white person like would feel uncomfortable obviously saying the titles of his music and i think he wanted to instill that discomfort in like his community um to where like you they can feel how uncomfortable he has felt through his life mm. and like that discomfort and kind of like disruption has really been like groundbreaking and it comes in waves like I feel like a community like communities have been passive and like now especially in this year we're getting into this space where we're like confronting things like this we're like 
dissecting like the use of the word nigger again we're like saying it in a way that it's like so what this is what i'm saying and i'm taking it back yeah. um, we're like going in and like understanding um the discourse that um and the conversations that people need to be having and i think that we're kind of giving a spotlight to that again where it's like these are hard conversations and like people like me or people like mandy or people like um faith um who they're having these conversations and like they're starting like they're basically telling it like it is and like even though it's hard to accept even for like a lot of black people too there's just like a lot we have to face there's there's a lot of uh, massage noir but that people don't want to face that I feel like is finally getting the conversations that it needs like mm. why do you hate black women so much and how can we change that and can you even recognize your hate for black women and other black people black gay people black queer people black people who are disabled um black people who can't read like mm -hmm. there's there's so many like different like communities of people that are like completely overlooked just based on people's ableism or massage noir like under misunderstanding of class in america mm -hmm. and how that like permeates even um on the same level as race and like people refusing to acknowledge their privilege um i think there's a lot of conversations that need to be had and a lot of people myself included that like have to have the hard conversations with themselves and like face themselves and and call out themselves to mm -hmm. where like you like we shouldn't have to like call everyone out like there should be like a call in of the self mm -hmm. and like why why have i acted like this this way why have i treated that person this way how can i grow from that and how can we like heal communally yeah I mean, man, that is some deep, those are some deep questions. I'm sure you already know that. No, 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 I mean, I, it's so funny. Um, it's not funny, but I, before re speaking with you, the last, um, podcast I recorded was with E. Jane and we were talking about massage noir but off the record okay. and it's almost like we felt a moment of we appreciated connecting in how we've been affected by it very recently and currently and trying to rationalize it and talk through it and recognize just exactly what you were saying alima like recognize our own faults and calling ourselves out, but also recognizing the kind of hand we've been dealt as black women and why we need uh -huh. to feel the need to endure it. And I'd even, I'd, I'd phrased it in some way when we were on the record, I was saying, it's like, you know, black women learn the the biggest thing you have to teach yourself is to learn how to not feel like you're eating shit and to convince yourself yeah. that you're, you're doing the work that is needed to um, absorb and um, dissect and then put back out into the world something that is acceptable and healthy but in doing the translation of those different tones and attacks and fucked up ways of thinking and people talking to you in a certain way and 
figuring out how to make it palatable for a larger community, you you lose a little bit of yourself. And the, the work is really figuring out how to not feel resentment about that work, you know? Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's also interesting, sorry, Ejane, if I'm calling our conversation out right now, but why i wonder why and it was probably me who felt the need to talk about misogyny like our misogynoir instances off of the record um yeah i don't have an answer to this i'm just thinking out loud but um yeah i think for me especially it's like hard to think about or it's hard it's hard to talk about and especially like so many things i hear about are so like interpersonal Mm. and like i like there's some like things that i don't want to like push out there because a lot of times it's not my story to tell Mm -hmm. like I can tell my story and I think for me personally as like a video artist I've been able to tell my story through the moving image and like I don't even I don't talk about a lot of the uh, of the topics that I really am passionate about because like sometimes I can't find the words or sometimes I'm like is what I'm saying on the internet right now falling upon deaf ears? Like, will mm. it just make me vulnerable and unable to make money um, if I talk about how you hate black women? Um, yeah. If I call out certain people, um, I know that makes me vulnerable. And it's, it's a scary place to be. I think a lot of this year I've lived in fear of calling out like certain abusers or certain um people that have made me feel um less than or people that I feel have targeted me because I just like don't like I think first of it was like I don't want to give it energy Mm -hmm. but I also understand how communal knowledge is helpful but also putting yourself out there to like kind of put uh something um a topic or a, a specific event or something um, or someone like kind of like in the spotlight of maybe it's not like the best light or like it's actually really negative and like I'm calling this person like it is I think I'm just like scared like this culture like breeds fear yeah. and I'm scared of being killed I'm scared of being killed by the government I'm scared of being killed by my peers um even in the sense of a social death Mm. i'm scared of not being able to support myself by having these conversations and that's why i'm like so in awe of people that can like hold these conversations in a public sphere and um face a lot of the pushback that is often received like i don't have the energy for that like i haven't posted to my instagram like i post maybe once every other month Mm -hmm. and like and that's like part of my anxiety and fear of just like speaking Mm -hmm. my mind because like i posted like one time like when the riots are happening and like i've got so much hate and so much like so many like death threats for like speaking on something that I felt was just like very fair and very real to me and Mm -hmm. to many people like me but it's like so hard for some people to even think about that it it scares them and their reaction to um, like being scared or um, having fear about something is violence and like that is what scares me when discussing things like massage and noir discussing things like um homophobia or xenophobia or like I don't know just like everything that this nation is kind of (laughs) 
built on of the foundation of the country. Like so many people are scared to accept simple truths Mm -hmm. I feel like and that's why I'm scared to speak my truth and that's why I put it on a video and stick it in a gallery where a few people see it (laughs) (laughs) but you do that so well though it should be in a broader audience I know I feel like I've I've tried this year like with the streaming thing and like putting my work out there but like even that like I would share like the link a few times and like not even post on the page like I put in my story like if you want to see this like you can watch it but not talk too much about the subject matter because I don't know it just like invites a lot of crazy shit to your doorstep Yeah, I mean, also, to be fair, you're an artist in every sense, like the true sense of the word, and that makes you very vulnerable by default, you know, like you're putting all of yourself into your work, which is why y'all become artists. I say y'all because I don't consider myself one, but, um, you know, I, for a while, I thought I was an artist in terms of curation, like I was trying to give myself the same title but I I really don't feel like I I I wouldn't compare myself to like you or Mandy or Candace or Devin or in in certain ways that artists I truly love and have worked with and respect give themselves in a very different way that feels total or more more than how much I give I don't know I can't really describe it in, in talking about words but I don't I don't consider myself having it like an artist practice but yeah, I, I feel you. But I think that I've, you're talking about like I've seen it, you know? I've seen I've seen working on the worst witch. Like I've seen what it means for you to be in the space watching your shit come to life in a quote unquote white cube. She the Lobster LA is not a white cube, but you know what I'm saying? You know, it's like it's yeah. this vulnerable moment that's anxiety inducing in a good and bad way and that's that thing that's that that's why it's so good though i'm this is not i'm not this is coming out as like weird i'm not trying to boast you up or convince you that you're great because i do (laughs) i do think that but i'm just saying that's the interesting thing for me as a curator is to see those moments happen where maybe there's something in the moments of you of artists like you in general being vulnerable that feels that it lets me in to be connected to the work you know like if you Uh didn't have any moments of vulnerability then how how can I enter the conversation maybe you know maybe it's too intimidating or too solid for me to speak to yeah I am I'm also glad that you brought up Candace too because like she is someone that I've looked to for guidance even or like because she speaks so freely and like everything even like the TikToks she posts to her story is just like it really says it all even Mm -hmm. like in humor it says so much and it's like a lot of things are so dark and she kind of like welcomes that darkness and picks it apart to and like explains it in such a way that like is so productive and I've loved listening to her I drop in on her classes at CalArts um my partner like was um had uh their um masters there and I would always go to school with them whenever Candace was teaching Mm. because like she just like has like the most insane outlook and is so like academic driven Mm -hmm. and but like doesn't use that as like um 
kind of like the only way to explain her work like I'm someone that like I have read a lot and like have studied a lot but like definitely don't know near as much as she knows and like just like the weight that I see her carry just from the knowledge of this world is Mm. so deep and so intense that I'm scared to know more but I'm also is so intrigued because like the conversations that I have with her insane and to see the work that she makes and like besides like all of her work with Cassandra and and her work um her writing work and and her teaching work to see like her visual work kind of like as um um a funnel and um a way to like get out everything visually that she speaks on and um has been it's a such a crazy process like to see her process yeah and to like see how someone like her processes like what's happening versus historically what's happened and like looking at greek mythology and looking at um I think when we were in her class, she wrote down on the board hauntology. Wow. Like haunt and ontology. And even that, just like those two words together just like blew me. Yeah. And I'm just like, the shit that must go through her mind and like how much she processes. I'm like, girl, like, can you go to sleep (laughs) and like maybe rest up and like don't go on the internet for a few days because I'm scared for people like her. Like, people like her are like who I feel like are targeted and like I I see people like her and how vocal she is and and I'm scared to kind of step into that realm because like Mm -hmm. people like her are a target but she's doing the work that needs to be done and it's so um virtuous to me yeah man I mean like that's why I like I like can compare her to someone like Julius Eastman yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly 100% agree with everything you've said. And not to make, Candace, if you're listening, we love you. Um, but, I mean, Candace for me has been, felt like somebody who's been a true collaborator. And probably in the same ways she has been for you. And, you know, I've known her for many years and have curated her work in shows I've done similar to you you know, when I have an opportunity, practices that I really respect and like, you know, just enjoy speaking with her about shit that we're thinking about and reading and know that she's going to give it to me straight and um, almost so straight that I find myself often being like, okay, girl, all I wanted to know was what are you having for dinner? You know, (laughs) by the time we're done talking, she's like, did you read this thing about this? And I was like, man, you're too, I, I can't, I, I don't know how it's she has the energy. Odd. I mean, I did this um, Instagram kind of curation project with her during the pandemic with, and she took over the gallery that I then worked for Marto's gallery, the, the Instagram, because I felt like just exactly what you, to echo what you just said, the TikToks that she was reposting at the time and like the work someone like Julius puts in, you're so right in the way that they do this work that nobody recognizes the right way at the time. But it was it was not just reposting. It was active curation and research and, and, and a form of archiving and collecting of information and figuring out the right time to, and, 
and timing of things and how to set the tone for people to be able like to make it palatable or to make sure that it comes across as humorous or satirical or dark or you know serious and the tiktoks were so fucking intense for me that i had her take over the gallery instagram just for the opportunity to potentially for just even if it was a handful of people which it actually ended up being quite a few more if we could just recontextualize it for some people to see it as a art project for what it really was you know to take it out of to take it off of her piece of paper and put it onto produced by because people engage with it differently then if if they're like oh this gallery has this project then it becomes yeah, a real exactly. practice because it was fucking work. I, I She didn't even say this to me, but I know it must have been work getting all that shit together and getting it done. Yeah, like on top of everything she does, like that TikTok curation, like archival project was like, it, it hit in a different way that yeah. like, it really like showed a lot of people what the fuck we're feeling at every point of the day and the night. And kind of put it on display in a way that it's palatable because it's like funny or it's a it's a it's a good way to receive information mm-hmm. um it's like funny but then it makes you think and i think that like makes you think part while like kind of exploring what even made that funny like how is that funny but like the way that it was delivered like is a way that kind of can be um it can be deciphered in any kind of way Mm -hmm. but like the way that she was archiving those tiktoks and um her and my partner sterling they were always sending tiktoks like their whole text conversation even though like they had like a student (laughs) um teacher like relationship as well as being friends Mm -hmm. like their whole like text conversation was just tiktoks back and forth and like the most insane shit i've ever seen like tiktok as a platform is really wild and i think she's like incorporating that into her um like class um curriculum Mm -hmm. Um, as she should yeah exactly but that project it just like kind of like opened up a new realm for like receiving information in this age and how it's deciphered and organized i would argue i mean one of the things i remember speaking about with your work with somebody very early on it was actually with devin was um the kind of uh you know making the kind of video work that you do it, you're not doing it for let's just I mean I'm putting it in very layman's terms but you're not doing it for some kind of recognition you know similar to this like posting of TikToks but it's not like you know you're you're engaging in an artistic medium that unless maybe you're Hype Williams um, it's hard to recognize the artistic gestures but you've created a whole practice in it and people who have paid attention have written about it and that's pretty incredible also you know i mean people like me and other curators and artists are introduced to you by you know maybe maybe someone like candace collects and archives tiktoks but you're creating video footage you're creating the imagery mm-hmm. which is i'm not you don't have to answer because it's kind of just i'm just complimenting you so that might feel uncomfortable <laughs> for you um but i mean you've also you, you not just work with video, but you work with installation and the idea of sort of environments. But do you, 
ever fuck with things like TikTok or the idea of because what you make is so potentially compatible with platforms like TikTok and Instagram. Do you ever think about that presence that you could have or? I think I feel like I, th- I think about it a lot, actually. Just yeah. Like, I could literally put some of the things that I'm working on. Um, sorry, one sec. I'm getting a bunch of texts for some reason. Um, I think about how I could like kind of um, translate my work online and it could be viral or it could fall upon deaf, deaf ears. But I think a major reason why I don't share a lot of my video work or like it's not that I like want I'm like want to cut off access to it I think it's just my personal anxiety and like fear with sharing on the internet or like sharing anything where Mm. I can like there's just like an us a whole sea of people who don't agree with me and (laughs) it could potentially be a very scary thing and I've, I've faced that before I've faced like having death threats in my dms and like things like that but like and it didn't really scare me i think that just look at the sharing of information and information being so wet readily available like anyone can find out where i live if they try hard enough right. <laughs> and, and it's just like I, I have like this insane fear i think it comes from like my fear of like learning about the black panther party from such a young age and like the impact that they had and the FBI involvement in their being taken down because of their spreading of information and their free press. Mm-hmm. Like it scared me and, and, and realizing like the more um, modern version of that with the um, black identity extremism um, kind of, I think it was like a project of the FBI, like the BIE files and like activists being arrested in their homes because of like posting certain things on Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm mm-hmm. just like, the it, it's so insane to me that I'm like, oh my God, like, is it even worth it to like <laughs> say what I feel online or like express how I'm really feeling? Cause like how I'm really feeling is a slap in the face to a lot of people. And like, I don't even know if like, I, I don't think I feel safe to be having these kinds of conversations hmm. sometimes. Like, even, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I don't, I'm not really vocal. Like even like, um, personally, like, um, I, tend to listen more than I speak in a conversation Uh, this is different I feel like um, (laughs) thankfully for me (laughs) when I'm talking a lot I I don't I don't tend to talk a lot is what I'm saying and Mm -hmm. like I think that reflects in like the sharing of like how I'm feeling like I'd rather like be um, more of a listener and like more introspective than like kind of like extroverted and like uh, oversharer because of this like fear that has been ingrained in me and I don't even know when it started it could have been earlier because I like was exploring a lot of this stuff in high school I went to like this really radical um, program where we were learning about race and gender and how white people destroyed the world and reading guns, germs and steel and then getting into postmodernism and existentialism and just and learning about the Black Panthers and the real American history of a Black American history, reading Howard Zinn at age sixteen. Mm. Kind of Holy like shit! What school did you fucking go to? What school is this? You read? It's a public school in in um, L.A. It's called 
or it's in the valley it's called um grover cleveland and it was a humanities magnet actually patrice colors went to this Holy program shit. and she was a teacher there um but it was like a writing magnet my mom's a writer she's a screenplay writer and she was like i want you to go to this writing school and i was like i don't want to be a writer but i guess i'll go and then it ended up just like really like opening me up like a lot of my classmates became like um activists mm. and um pro bono lawyers and, and things like that teachers i was like pretty much one of the only people that just became like a weird experimental artist and <laughs> just like that's how i kind of like and even being in such a progressive program i was still one of the only black women and girls for that matter um in high school yeah. in this program and just like being completely surrounded by like mostly like korean and like white kids and having to talk about my traumas like during the race and gender unit and, that's like, so how crazy and like it kind of like scared me because like when i finally opened up we had like a lot of like group conversations i opened up and they sent me to the school psychiatrist and i was like <gasps> wait a minute no I didn't know it was that bad and I was kind of like scared to open up after that because I like I I was sharing so um openly and like people were shocked at what I was saying even though it was like everyday life for me like how I grew up and like um growing up in poverty and like growing up knowing that my father was an abuser that my mother was depressed and on Xanax for a lot of my upbringing but like was also an incredible artist just like me and filmmaker who like had a tough time in her industry because of her being um an Afro-Latinx woman Mm -hmm. and like having everything taken from her like that scared me and like people like being around like my father he was a he was a good father but like I knew the kind of nigga that he was and like being like around that like it scared me to like realize the truths in our relationships and and seeing that in my interpersonal relationships with other people whether it be romantic or platonic and just like recognizing that from like a more critical standpoint like I just learned critical thinking so early that like it shook me and like I'm glad I have a way to express how I'm feeling but like just being vocal and expressing on the internet is something I still struggle with yo I that's fucking crazy Lima because I don't know if I would have wanted the ability to think critically so young like it sounds like so much to deal with yeah you it know, definitely added I mean, a lot. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I could grapple with some childhood trauma is because I, I, you know, recognized it in my adult life. And then by that time, I was like, oh, fuck that shit. It was fine. But if I was recognizing it while it was happening, <laughs> that might have been it a definitely, like, yeah, it, like, shit. opened my eyes to a whole other, like, world of hurt and also of, like, pleasure, mm-hmm. of understanding, like, there it was so there was so much duality and like what I was learning like yeah it was like hurtful truths but it like it felt good to like understand them and like kind of regain power over them in certain ways man I feel like we're having a therapy session I know it's kind of like I'm legit a lot of my conversations uh, turn into that I feel like I'm legit sitting at my like recording desk with my hand on my chin looking into the ceiling like just thinking <laughs> <laughs> I mean it also like 
it was funny because like right before this, like maybe like an hour or so before you called me, um, I was on the phone with like an energy healer who was like taking me through like all of the traumas that I hold in my body and helping me release mm. them. And I like was like kind of sent on this like introspective journey like less than an hour ago. So, so <laughs> it's fresh. So yes. it's fresh. Definitely fresh. Um, you know, I feel so fortunate that you, one, that I know you and have been able to work with you in such, just for the, you know, not that I need to say this, but I think I should and am happy to use this platform to do it. But so many of the things we've done together has also been eye-opening for me, especially Worst Witch, um, and figuring out a way to work with people curatorial, curatorially that felt very refreshing and exciting for me um it continues to be a project that i mean i still revisit um for those who don't know you can do a little googling but uh i also feel fortunate to have been able to work with you so i could invite you to this podcast and i feel like you having you on this episode has probably introduced to you know most if not every listener to Julius Eastman and everyone should thank you for that because um, it's an it's an amazing history and I feel like I knew very little coming into this so I was excited to just kind of um, riff off of the ideas that I had of Julius's practice which I you know again I knew very little but I think we all will look to know more and I hope that everyone listening um looks into it as well and maybe appreciates nigga versus nigger or looks at titling it a little differently from here on out yeah <laughs> and the reclaiming of words like the words that are used to harm us like, yeah yeah actually give us power in some kind of way it's funny just yesterday i reposted speaking of instagram and language but i reposted something on my instagram from colored publishing which was a photo of Shaq reading a book and it said pov of your class reading huckleberry finn out loud and you get to the page where they say the n-word oh my god and he's like exactly. looking at the he's looking at all of his like white classmates is like which one are y'all gonna say nigger right now because this book is a hard r nigga yo exactly uh, everyone would always look at me in those <laughs> especially because like the history we were learning was some crazy shit like everyone would just be staring at me like oh my god slavery Oh, God. I mean, the stories that I could tell on a podcast about. Anyways, I mean, my name's Ebony. You know, there's been some fucked up, hyper, hyper black, exoticized shit that's happened to me. Yeah. Um, for sure. anybody. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I want to thank you, Alima, for joining me on this journey. It does feel like a journey. I could talk to you forever, and I think I will more offline. But for the purposes of this series, I would like to um, just thank you for your time. And it was a real pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, thank you for having me and like having this conversation with me. We should have many. I hope somebody I was just I was talking to someone else about this on a podcast that I hope somebody listens to this and gives me a lot of money to do this regularly so I can just speak to artists and contemporaries that I love and want to talk to more and just kind of shoot the shit with but if that happens if we got some more money coming and we can like 
get a platform where I have people doing the post-production and not that just for the record now I feel the need to say NPR y'all are fucking amazing for real I I'm not trying to shit on it I'm really just saying I don't have the time to do this more regularly but I wish I did yeah I mean of course I listen I listen to podcasts every day I bike from um Bedside to Chelsea to and from to and like to work and back and I have podcasts for into the city and then podcasts home and um wow I think, you know, I often pay attention to these production nuances and different styles. I mean, there's so many different styles of podcasts if you listen to them every day, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners do. But I, you know, anyways, let's see what happens. I'm not asking for it or wishing it, but I do love having the opportunity to speak to my friends who are smart and who I love and respect. So thank Thank you, you Alima. Yeah, it was really great. This episode has been brought to you by Alima Lee. Great, thank you. It's Luke Shee.